check. Good morning. Welcome to church. Happy Mother's Day for you mothers. Happy Mother's Day if you're a boy, you've got a mother. So uh, uh, this is what you call stalling until the band starts playing because I don't know. uh, There we go. Here we go. Would you stand with me? Did you like how on Mother's Day I threw them under the bus? Spend some time worshiping our Jesus.
Why should I fear?
find myself thinking, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. More and more. I don't know if it's just God's doing more and more or if I'm just recognizing it more and more, but I'm thankful for such a good God. Sing with me. so good.
goodness. Jesus, the work you did on the cross was so good to us. The way that you transform us and you make us more and more into your image is so good for us. Holy Spirit, the way that you guide us and direct us and lead us even now, the way that you're with us in this space, the way that you're with us with whoever is watching us online in their space. You're so good. God, the fact that you would call us into this narrative of your love is all the evidence we need of your goodness. God, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for these people. God, I thank you today especially for our mothers. I thank you for my mom. I thank you for the mom to my children. I thank you for the moms that I know. But God, I thank you for so much more than just physical moms. But I know that there have been spiritual moms and emotional moms and mental moms. And and God, you have used women in such a mighty way in my life. And I'm thankful. I pray that you will help us to be as faithful as so many of these poured their life into me. God, I pray that this will be a day of us not only celebrating our physical moms, but celebrating those who have poured into us. And Jesus, at the end of all this, we want to be sure that your name is lifted highest, that your name is glorified, that your name is elevated above every other name, above consumerism, above money, above work, above experiences, above family, above 
friends, above occupations, above everything. Your name, Jesus, stands above all of it. Your name is above sickness. Your name is above everything. Thank you for being such a good God. And we celebrate you today. Amen. You can have a seat. Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass, and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises, and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a Savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, happy Mother's Day. Well, happy Mother's Day. I'm back here. I'll get up there in a second. Happy Mother's Day. It's so good to see you. Welcome to church. If you're online, you're probably wondering where I am. I'm walking down the aisle. We're so glad to see you today. Were you going to say something? No, that's all right. <laughs> My name is Garen. I'm one of the pastors here. I was not with you last week. I was not feeling well. I was sick. I am feeling better, thankfully, today. But I... I would be remiss if I did not say thank you to Justin and to the band last week and the crew on AV. 
Um, I showed up at 8 and went home at 8.05. I showed back up at 9, and at 9.03 was like, Justin, you're taking the whole thing. i got to go home. I'm sick. And without a blink, he was like, absolutely, I got it. Yeah, I know. I, I watched him at home, and he was, it was fantastic. And that was him sharing from his heart, and it was amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom, if you have a mom, happy Mother's Day. Um, we have some gifts for you in the back. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So we have a couple of totes. Mom, if you want to grab one afterwards, it says, Mom, you're totally awesome. You see what we did there? You see what we did there? Or maybe you're like, you know what? Um, I don't need anything to carry my computer or, or whatever to the beach, but I would love to go on a picnic with my, with my sugar boo or my, my kids. Um, this is a picnic basket that you can fill up and take. And it says, Mom, every day with you is like a great adventure. No, I'm just kidding. It says picnic, actually. It, it does say picnic. I just wanted to see if any, I was hoping everyone would say picnic and I could be like, no, uh, but are y'all awake? Come on, y'all. Let's do this. So happy Mother's Day. Um, I have a couple of announcements that I want to share with you. And the first one is this one. Stay connected with us. Now, not only am I talking about this, but in the front on the table, we have connection cards. If you want to know more about baptism more about small groups. If you have moved and we haven't gotten your current address, I just changed <laughs> yours a year after your move. If you have an update, like a new kid that you need us to put in, you would still fill that out. You don't have to fill it out every time. If, if Ken, you've lived in the same place for 15 years, you don't have to fill it out every week. But if there is a change, we would love to know. Um, we have been going through our membership records, and I'm going to be honest with you all. Membership and regular attenders, we have maybe 35% of your emails. It's hard for you to stay connected in the life of the church if you're not connected to the life of the church. We have even fewer phone numbers. So, I would encourage you today, just maybe let's start fresh on Mother's Day. Fill out your information and we'll update it and make sure that we have the best way to reach you or contact you. So, that's the first announcement. The second announcement is... Cry five. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and somebody was like, can you explain a little more? So here's what I mean. If you're visiting with us, if you are a regular attender, but you're sporadic, we want to encourage you to try coming five weeks in a row, one month, plus a week. And we want to see, because we believe that after five weeks of coming consistently, you're going to say, there's something here for me, whether it's a song that's sung or something that's preached or a connection that I make or a friendship or a relationship or just the donuts in the back that are free, free Sunday breakfast, donuts and coffee, we think there's going to be something that will cause you to say, I want to come back more than just those five weeks. So we encourage you, try five weeks in a row. See if it doesn't change you. And the last thing is, we are in the middle of a prayer time. We are joining with half a million people from May 1st through June 5th, which is Pentecost, and we are encouraging you to pray. Find a time every day to pray. I have an alarm set at 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock because of James 1, 5. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and the God and who generous will give you... I forget how it goes exactly, but he'll give you wisdom. So, 
I'm praying for wisdom for our church, for our direction. I'm praying for protection. I'm praying for you. On Wednesday nights, we gather here, and I walk by, and I know where most of you sit typically, and I pray for you. I want you guys praying daily, and there's another great way that you can do this, even if it's just for this time. Emma, the next slide. We have um, an app that is, go- that is with the Church of the Nazarene, and you can download it. It's free, and it will give you about a minute and a half devotional. It'll give you a scripture verse, about two paragraphs, and then a prayer. And you can read it, or you can click play and have somebody read it for you. And these are devotionals from pastors and district superintendents and our general superintendents, a lot of the higher-up people that are giving thoughts on some of these scriptures that you can be praying. And here's what I love about it. You can be praying the same prayer as a half a million other people on a Thursday morning. Because we are praying for another great awakening. We are praying for revival. We are praying that God does something miraculous and that our churches explode with life. And not only that, but our ministries outside these walls flourish. And so we want you, even if it's just May 1st or June 5th, would you consider joining me in praying? It'll change you. Okay, I think that's it for me. Is that it for me, Justin? That is, it is, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, You know, the reason why they might have seen a little quiet this morning is because you didn't say, God! Ah, Amen. There we go. That's, yeah, so if you're in here last week, then uh, then, then you know that was our our little thing going on. Uh, Guys, we come to a time where we get to pass the peace with one another. And uh, I'm reminded of two things. First, one of them is that... um, you know, God was giving me the scripture verse, you know, while I'm in the middle of playing, you know, where two or three are gathered is where I'm found is, you know, the, the, the word says where two or three are gathered is where I'm found. And it's just a reminder that God does not intend for us to live this Christian faith with just him alone. And that's it. A lot of people, they think to themselves, you know, what's the point in church? What's the point in going there on a Sunday morning? And the truth is, it's for this purpose. It's for us to be able to join with one another and to be able to worship God together and to be at peace with one another, right? And then also, you know, I'm reminded of how life has been for me for the last two weeks or so. We had the baby and just the overwhelming help that you guys have been giving us. You know, when I show up here on a Sunday morning and, you know, I go to my wife with a, with a card and I, and I tell her, you know, another one here. There's another one here. Where do you want me to put them? Where, you know, just so much coming from you guys is just a reminder for me, you know, of just the importance of the body of Christ and how we're not supposed to be doing this. If I just was doing it all alone, then uh, my wife would be stuck with my cooking every single night. And so thank you guys so much for the ones who have been bringing uh, food over to the house. For those of you guys who have been giving gift cards for places for us to eat, I appreciate it. What I've been doing is I pretty much take it somewhere, bring it home, put it on a plate like if I made it. And then as soon as my wife comes out from feeding the baby, I pull it I say, honey, I made you some dinner. So please, if, you know, if, if anybody else has any, keep them coming because she's going to end up catching me in a little bit. You know, I told her tonight, we got an Olive Garden one, an Olive Garden one. So I told her, I said, tonight I'm going to be making some uh, breadsticks and salad unlimited. I'm just kidding. No. So, uh, but, you know, guys, the point is, is that, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. You guys wouldn't be able to do it on your own. We're here with each other and we want to be at peace with one another. And so may I be the first to tell you this morning, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a moment and pass that peace with one another.
We uh, we get to continue in our uh, in our worship with our tithes and offerings, and uh, this is just a moment again that we're able to give back to God. And uh, you know, one little tiny thing that sticks in my head here in this moment is there's so many ways to give. First of all, you guys will see here on the screen in, in a few minutes a couple different ways they're able to give with money. But then I'm also reminded of how we're able to give up our time, you know, our, our efforts. You know, you might have a gift that God has blessed you with. And we could use that. Uh, you know, Paul's got a gift in uh, grilling up some chicken, and he brought it over this week. Uh, you know, we have the girls back there. If you guys don't know, the, our, the running the sound crew and the words, we have, you know, the, the Showalter girls back there. And th- such an amazing job this morning. Uh, Henley really knows how to turn the music up, and I love it. I love it with loud music. Uh, you know, Ray, a few weeks ago, he got me a turtle. And so there's different ways we can give, guys. All right? Back in the days, he used to bring animals. And, you know, Ray showed up. And Butch, they showed up with a turtle a few weeks ago. So I took that bad boy home, and he's living a good life. You should have seen it. Last week, I found a turtle outside. It was a big one. And I brought it inside. I put it down. And I said, I said, honey, look. Look, the turtle got bigger. And she was like, that thing runs, runs fast. Because it was running pretty quick in the house. But I gave it a strawberry, and I, and I, and I let it out back outside. Don't worry, it's not there anymore. But I got a little turtle in the cage. But uh, let's, let's pray for the Lord to bless us uh, for this time and we're able to give back to him. Lord, we thank you so much for providing for us, Lord, for, you know, for, the, for the breath in our lungs here in this moment, for the fact that we're here and we're still alive, um, Lord, and we're still able to worship you freely in this country. And so, Lord, I just, I just thank you for all that you've given us, all the way down to animals, to resources, Lord, to money, whatever the case is, to health. Lord, you have blessed us tremendously. Lord, and the, and the number one thing that you've given us is you, yourself. You've given us a value upon us that then gives us you, Lord. And one day, heaven. And Father, we thank you for that. And we can't, we can't ever outdo that. So Lord, I pray that as we come to a time to give back to you, Lord, I pray that we do it cheerfully. Lord, I pray that we would do it understanding that we serve a God that knows our every need and will take care of us. So bless this time that we have here. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to keep going. So that means I have no slides for you today. So y'all got to listen up. Don't you love it when things happen like this? You have something to share? Did Did you want me to give you a sermon bumper? No, I don't want. Yeah. That sounds great. You sound just like it. 
you're not here, you are missing something spectacular. It is upside down. Oh, y'all. Aren't you glad that we can have fun together? At least I'm having fun. Some of you are like, what's going on? They're off the rails today. So. Yeah, try five, try five. We won't be off the rails next week, maybe. Um, so I don't think we have, we don't have slides, do we, Emma? All right, so here's what we're going to do. If you'll just, just leave it blank. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this question. Have you ever uh, heard this phrase? There are two types of people in this world. And then they say something. Um, like there are the the. Well, they're the over-the-top toilet paper and the underneath toilet paper people, aren't there? If you are an over-the-top person, raise your hand. If you're online, type in over-the-top. If you're the wrong type, raise your hand. Yep, 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 yep. It's always over-the-top. It's always over-the-top. There are the people that have, there are two types of people in this world. There are the people that have zero emails in their mailbox. And then there are people like my wife, who is, I think, in the mid-30,000s emails. So um, she answers the important ones. I think that's all junk mail, and she just doesn't feel like purging. So Jim just about had a stroke, it looked like, when I said 30,000. He was like, what? So uh, it's all right. There are two types of people in this world, right? We always have a this and a that. Isn't that how we kind of spend a lot of our life? Well, if you're like this, then you're probably not like that. If you're like this, then you probably won't like that. Um, So when I was growing up, i got to get my Bible out since I don't have the words on the screen. When I was growing up, in the mid-80s, there was a phenomenon that happened, and maybe you did this. Has anyone ever played laser tag? Oh, you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Laser tag. So it's, it's the one... Uh, where you you go in and you're in like a dark room. A lot of times it's like a warehouse or something and there are obstacles. A lot of times there's like fluorescent stuff so that you don't bump your head on a beam or something. The room's dark. You got a red team and you got a blue team and the goal is to shoot the other people with the laser guns and you get points for how many hits you get and it's you against them. It's my team against you. And And even though you're still, like, if I'm on the red team and you're on the blue team, my goal is, as a red team, to beat the blue team. But even more, at the end, when you would walk out, there would be this ranking of red and blue. Everyone that was playing, who had the best overall score? And, I mean, you wanted your team to win, but you definitely, it was a special badge of honor if you were at the top. If it was like, oh, not only did I win, but I had the highest score. Flash forward to about a decade ago, and a new type of phenomenon came across our core collective knowledge, and it's called the escape room. Has anyone done an escape room? Oh, yeah. So, so in case you're not familiar with what an escape room is, an escape room is kind of like this. They place you in a big room, usually it's pretty dark and you may have little things around you and your job is to solve these puzzles which will help you get clues 
which will help you answer things, which will help you get to where you can escape this room. And, and you're in there, there's usually six to ten people, and you're all working together, and, and you, you, have to, you have to get out. Laser tag escape rooms. Both interactive. Both played in closed settings. Both have obstacles, obstacles to overcome. And if you look at them, and if we were to write down the description on paper, they might look kind of similar. But the motives are completely different. With laser tag, it's crush everyone. I must win, which means you must lose. Dun, dun, dun. And with the escape room, it's we're all working together. The goal is everybody wins. The situation is the enemy. You're not my enemy. We're on the same team. The situation is the enemy. Now here's where these two things come into our gospel lesson today. Many of us Christians live our Christian lives like laser tag. And here's what I mean. I got to beat the bad behavior. I got to defeat those people that vote the way I don't like or that think differently than me, or that act differently. I've got to beat those countries that are doing things that don't align with what I think they should be. I've got to beat those other religions, because they clearly have it wrong. I mean, the rest of the world is either confused, or ignorant, or defiant, or something, and I've got to defeat them. I've got to defeat sin. I've got to defeat the evil systems in this world. Anything that doesn't line up with my theology has either got to be converted or it's got to go. And if we're not careful, we end up thinking that Jesus is inviting us into conflict. And it makes perfect sense if we have a laser tag theology. My job is to vanquish the enemy. I'm on the good side, they're on the bad side. And I want the good side to win. And I really want to look good so that at the end of my life, on the scoreboard of God's ranking system, I can rank higher than anyone else. That's an added bonus. And that can kind of sound normal if we're not careful. It sounds normal until we look at the Bible, at least. And specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be a little bit in Matthew and a little bit in Ephesians, so I can't even tell you where to go until we get there, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you recall, this is the longest sermon that we ever have, that we have recorded of Jesus. And in it, Jesus isn't telling us to fight others. Instead, Jesus is telling us to love others. I, I was I posted this yesterday on Facebook, and uh, it hit me. It's a quote by um, a lady. Her name is Rachel Held Evans, and it really, it really hit me. It said, I confess, sometimes I need reminding it doesn't go like this. And she's paraphrasing 1 John 4. 
Dear friends, let us be right. For being right comes from God, and everyone who is right has been born of God and knows God. Whoever is wrong doesn't know God because God is right. No one's ever seen God, but if we're right, God lives in us, and his righteousness is made complete in us. We like being right, don't we? And yet, if you go to 1 John, sorry, I wasn't expecting to go here. What 1 John actually says is, dear friends, let us continue not to be right, but let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And too many times we are more concerned with being right than we are with loving. And let me tell you, this is what's difficult. You can be right and be totally wrong if it's not done in love. Or you can love and you will always be right. See, well, we won't go there. Jesus tells us to love others. It's not a laser tag game. It's not us versus them. It's not I've got to defeat you or your situation or I've got to tell you how wrong you are or I've got to tell you that you're a sinner and if you don't trust Jesus right now, you're going to hell. No, what Jesus actually says is love people. And then he goes in in Matthew 5 and he says, these are the types of people that are blessed, that have God's blessing upon them. And it's not the powerful, and it's not the Romans, and it's not the Greeks, and it's not the religious leaders. If you'll recall, all last summer we spent in Matthew 5. Instead, Jesus says, it's the people that are poor that have found God's favor. It's the people that are mourning. Henley, can you turn my mic down a little bit? I'm ringing. Or Justin, maybe you can help. It's the people that mourn. It's the people that are humble. They're not self-righteous. It's the people who are so hungry and thirsty for the things of God. And they're willing to get involved. And so sometimes it means that they show mercy when really they'd rather show vengeance. And sometimes it means that they have to check their heart and make sure that it's pure and that they're doing things for the right reasons and not out of selfish motives. And sometimes it means that they have to work for peace even though there's conflict in the situation. And a lot of times what that means is I'm going to put myself in the middle of a conflict, which means that people are probably going to stop liking me because I'm trying to be a peacemaker and they're very happy deciding who's right and who's wrong instead of loving each other. And when I put myself in the middle of it, I then have a target on my back. And so I'm blessed when I'm persecuted. It doesn't mean I want to be persecuted, but it means I'm blessed if I'm persecuted doesn't sound like a laser tag mentality, does it? doesn't sound like a laser tag mentality where there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser and I've got to be aggressive with my faith and I've got to uh, be an aggressive initiator of God's wrath on other people who feel like they're, they're right, but I know that they're wrong and they're sinners and I've got to do something about it and I've got to be, I've got to deal with these 
these people who don't line up with my theology and these situations and these countries and these fill in the blank. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't sound very much like laser tag. It actually, if I read it, it sounds a lot more like an escape room mentality. Where the goal of Jesus, at least the way I read it, isn't that you've got to lose, it's that everyone can win. There doesn't have to be a loser. We can all win. We can all do this. God's given us opportunity to do something that we can't do on our own, but we can. And so instead of being so concerned about being right and judgmental, we simply choose to follow Jesus into these places where hurts and pain and injustices are. But we're not we're not following Jesus so that we can vanquish some enemy. Instead, we're following Jesus so that we can help be part of the redemption of the situation and we can help make things right. Not to bring, we, we want to bring Jesus into the middle of the circumstances, not so that he can condemn them, but so that his overwhelming love can transform the situation. We do it because Jesus longs to eliminate sides altogether. There doesn't have to be a your side and my side, a right side and a, a right side, a wrong side. There has to, Jesus wants a, all of us side. Jesus wants all of us. So, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And sorry, the, the notes. Um, we'll get there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first one. Sorry, I have to sing the song. Ephesians 2. What Paul is saying echoes what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, there doesn't have to be an us versus them, I want everyone. We, we think it's, well, we won't go there. Sorry, I've got a lot of things that I want to say when I'm feeling pressed not to say. Ephesians 2 says, For Christ himself has brought rightness to us and made us better than others. No, that's not what it says. I was kidding. It actually says, For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his, with his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Doesn't sound like laser tag theology, does it? Jesus wants us all. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So, so what I'm seeing here is that Jesus made a way for us to stop thinking of this Christian life as some sort of game where there has to be winners and there has to be losers. And how do I know that I won? Well, I know that I won because I saw you lose. We beat them. No, Paul's reminding us that the goal of this whole narrative of God is that everyone can win. That's the goal. Now, does that mean that everyone will choose Jesus? Unfortunately, no. And 
God gives each of us the freedom to choose whether we will join with Jesus or remain estranged from him. That's our choice. But if you ask Jesus his choice, it's that everyone is on his side and that we aren't fighting against each other, but we're fighting against sin, which is the real enemy. Paul would say we, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities. We, it's not, we're not fighting each other. We are fighting against the sin in this world. Second Peter would put it this way. Sorry. If y'all get the before me, just go ahead and start reading it. Second Peter. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. Thank you, Mary, for laughing. Second Peter 3 9. Jesus wants us all to win. Jesus wants us all to be with him in this upside-down kingdom. And a lot of times we sit there and we're like, God, when are you coming back? Why is this happening? Well, Peter tells us that the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think. No, he's patient for your sake. He's patient for my sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed wants everyone to repent. That doesn't sound like laser tag theology where there has to be a winner and a loser. God is saying he wants everyone to win and not only does he want everyone to win, he's provided the way for everyone to win. He sent Jesus. We have the solution and everyone is invited to win. I don't know why we make it so difficult. We make salvation hard and exclusive and sometimes we think like this, well, this is the step. We realize we're bad people, and we don't like to say the word, but we'll say it once. We're sinners. And, and we see a lot of this writing in, in Paul's work in the New Testament, and, and I agree with it. Don't, don't misunderstand me. So we say that, and we admit that we've got problems, and we need a Savior, which I agree with. So we pray, and we ask God to forgive us, and Jesus to come into our hearts, and then we embark on this lifelong journey of battling sin, where Everyone who stands against this new life, it's, and here, I'm going to say this, and I'm guilty of saying this. I don't know if you've ever been to the altar and you've made a decision for Jesus, and then somebody says, now let me tell you, the devil's going to come after you now, because now the devil really wants you. Just get ready for it. Things are going to get tough now that you've given your life to Jesus. Let me just clue you in. The devil wants everyone too. And he doesn't want you any more or less. He wants Christians and sinners just like Jesus wants everyone. So we don't battle sin. I mean, we don't battle each other. We make it so difficult. We've got all these steps and we've got the Romans road and we've got all these ABC and they're all good to help us remember the things that we need to do to become Christians and Christ followers and yet Jesus makes it so simple. We have really complicated things in Matthew 4. Remember we talked about Matthew 4:17 Jesus says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and then in verse 19 he says it says this. 
One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, and they were throwing nets into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. Jesus didn't say, Come over here and let me tell you about all the bad things you're doing. And I'm going to give you a four-point structure. And Paul's going to talk about it later. But I'm going to give you a secret road to Romans right now. And, I'm going to, and I want you to do this. And you're going to have to change that. And you're going to have to start being um, really, really careful because evil's going to come at you. And you're going to, no, Jesus simply says, come, follow me. And just in case we're confused, uh, just a couple verses later, boom. Continuing walking along, we saw James and John sitting in the boat with their father, the Ze- uh, Zebedee. And they were repairing their nets, and he called them to come follow too. And immediately they followed him. And then the next section says, and large crowds followed him. And then in chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus is calling another disciple, and you got Matthew, the tax collector, and this is what he says, follow me. You got the criminal on the cross. God, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus basically says, hey, if you're willing to follow me in this death, you'll be with me in paradise today. Follow me. We make it so difficult. And Jesus simply says, follow me. Follow me. Learn from me. Become like me. Be my disciple. Which begs the question, follow you where, Jesus? I love how Jesus, with his answers, always leads you to the next question. Well, follow you where? Follow you deeper into this upside-down kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls us to stop living with this worldly kingdom mindset where it's all about power and it's all about wealth and it's all about controlling or winning and I've got to be better than that person. Jesus instead invites us into this deeper kingdom of heaven where everyone is loved this kingdom that sees the brokenness of the world and doesn't condemn the broken for being broken but instead invites us to come alongside them and say i see you in your pain i've been broken too let me sit with you a while and maybe we can talk about someone that can heal you because i've been healed too We're invited into this kingdom of God that is not us versus them, but it's us bringing them alongside. So here's the lesson for today. And here's where maybe it gets difficult. The call of Jesus is more than just you switching sides. I was on the blue team, now I'm on the red team. I was a sinner. And now I'm not. I said a little prayer. I gave a little offering. I tried a little behavior modification, so now I'm not as bad as I was. I checked off all the boxes, so now I'm good with God. I lived my life better, maybe not as good as I should, but better than I was. And I'm doing all that so that at the end of my life, there will be this huge payday, and I can cash out and go to heaven. Transaction complete. That's how many of us live our lives, whether we're willing to admit it or not. That's not 
what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus doesn't want transactions. He wants transformation. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your all. He wants your attitude, your actions, your focus, your loyalty. He wants your obedience. He wants you to never again ask the question, what's the least I can do? Why would you ever ask what's the least I can do to the Savior who saves you eternally? And yet we do. What's the least I can give? What's the least I can serve? What's the least I can contribute? Jesus wants you to never say that again. He wants you to completely turn your life over to him. It's like that poker moment where you have the chips and you push them all in and you say, I'm all in. There's no turning back. If I don't win this hand, I'm out. Jesus wants you to say, God, I am all yours. If you can't do something through me, nothing can be done through me. I'm all yours. Use me. Take me wherever you want. No turning back. I can't push all in and then say, I'm all in. Oh, wait. Actually, I'm going to keep a little, a few chips back for myself. No. Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus wants transformation. He wants you to believe that when he forgives you, you're forgiven. He wants you to live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He wants you to act as agents of reconciliation in this world. He wants you to be his hands and feet. He wants you to participate in the kingdom of heaven. No more sitting on the sidelines. He wants you to be active. He's not looking for Christian spectators. He's looking for spiritual participants. He wants you to be truly vested. Not just invested. When I invest in something, I contribute a little bit. When I'm vested, it means I'm all in. It means everything. Have you ever heard people say, well, I need to, you know, I need to step back from the situation because I have a vested interest. It means I can't be partial because I'm so invested, I can't be objective about this. Jesus wants you to say, I am so in with this life of Jesus, I, am so, I can't even be objective about some of this stuff because I'm all his. And whatever Jesus says, I'm going to do. I am completely vested. Jesus doesn't want transactional relationships. He wants you to be made new. He wants you to be made whole. He wants you to be transformed. And as part of this transformation and growth, he wants you to participate in this upside-down kingdom where the poor are elevated above the rich, where the hurting are elevated above the wealthy and the haves and the have-nots. He wants hearts broken for him. That's great news. Me getting saved so that I've got fire insurance and I'm not going to go to hell and I'm going to and I'm going to go to heaven is transactional. Me being broken because I see the heart of my neighbor and I know that their heart isn't where God's heart wants them to be. That's transformational. That's not me versus them. That's I want you to come alongside with me. So the question today is this. Are you living your life? a transaction mentality prayed a little prayer i admitted i was bad jesus forgave me and now i'm just in a holding pattern until i land in heaven or am i living my life in a way that says god i believe 
Jesus when he says he saves you. And I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And following him will always lead me to the hurting and the marginal life. It will always lead me to service. It will always lead me to giving. It will always lead me to loving, 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 loving. It will always lead me to acting like salt and light, as we'd say in Matthew 5. I want to be an activation element. I want to be salt where just my very presence changes the flavor of the situation. I want to be light where just my very presence casts out darkness. Will I live my life surrendered or will I live my life as if it's just a transaction? This is hard for me, and I'll, I'll close by just confessing. It's hard for me because so much of my profession is about doing things. And I've got to be sure that my motive is because I love people, not because it's my job. And sometimes that's very easy. Sometimes that's very difficult. And I want to live my life where I just, I can't help but give. I can't help but love. Most of you, if you, if you had your email and you're on their prayer list, you got the notification about Kevin last night. Our friend Kevin, who we baptized last year, passed on Friday night. And I got a letter from his mom saying his life was eternally changed because of Fort Orange Christian Nazarene and the God that he encountered among us. And as I've reflected the last day, and I, I remember those small groups at Panera where he would buy people a drink or buy people a Danish or something, because he, he just wanted to love on them. And he was always coming up, hey, does anybody need this? I can help with this. Or, hey, I've got a neighbor that I'm trying to reach out to. Or, hey, I'm going to be at CR because I, I want to live more like Kevin. I don't want my life to be transactional. I want to, it to be transformational. And I pray that that's what you want too. Now, if that is what you want, transformation is not stagnant. It means you will not be the same tomorrow as you are today. And if you are the same tomorrow as you are today, and if you haven't grown in your faith, even just a little bit, then you need to pray and confess get back on track with the transformation process. Amen? Because we believe, it's like the old hymn, take away our bent for sinning. We believe that this transformation is something that happens immediately and then it's also something that happens over time as God reveals more and more 
and he says, hey, let's work on this. Hey, I know you didn't care about this situation in the past, but I care about it, and I want you to start caring about it. And we change, and we grow, and we transform more and more into the likeness of Jesus. May that be our prayer. May it not just be a prayer, but may it be prayer put into practice. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the ultimate love in action person. I thank you for I thank you for being the perfect example. Jesus, you don't have a us versus them mentality. I think of the Samaritan who would have been ostracized. I think of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I think of Zacchaeus, who everyone knew was a criminal. I think of the criminal on the cross. I think of the woman that came to your feet with her tears and her hips. Jesus, every one of those, you had the opportunity to have a laser tag moment and say, you're wrong, you're sinning, you need to change, and yet you chose transformation over transaction, and you chose to love them, and their lives, every one of their lives was changed after encountering your love. May that be said of us. I pray that you'll take us into places that make us feel uncomfortable, because it's in those places that your light and your salt is needed most. Jesus, if we're not going to be your hands and feet, where will you go and who will you reach? You've called us to be your bride. Jesus, you're the head. Move us as you wish. And we'll follow. We'll follow you completely. All in. We pray this in your name. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited because um, we come to the table, and that always excites me. But today is the first day we are coming back to the front. Um, goodness, it's been two years since we invited people to come up to the table. This is not our table. This is his table. This is his gift. And so Justin and I are going to be serving you today, and I'm so excited about that. So just as a way of logistics, we invite you to come up and receive the elements. We're going to uh, hand sanitize, and just to do our due diligence, spiritual act. Um, what we've done is, um, instead of handing and, and breaking and dipping, we, we have um, the communion elements, and we have them stacked in, in the bottom cup. You have the bread, and then you have the juice. So, so what we'll do is we'll invite you up, we'll extend the cups to you, and you can take them, and then you can just dispose of them on your way out. But oh, on the night that our Lord was to be betrayed, once again, extravagant love. Jesus met with people 
that he had spent his life with, that had spent their lives following him. Even the one who would betray him. And he extended bread and juice to all of us. And so we come to the table. Some of us come needy. Some of us come celebrating. Some of us will come and this will be a moment of repentance as we come up and we say, God, forgive me. And I accept your grace right now. Some of us will come with thankfulness saying, thank you for your faithfulness through the years. And I receive this still. But on the night that he was to be betrayed, he took the bread and he took the cup and he broke the bread. And he says, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Taste, eat, and be thankful. And then at the right time in the Passover ceremony, he lifted up the cup. And he said, this cup, the token of the new covenant, new covenant, that always looks new. Jesus is always doing something new. This, this once represented the blood that was on the doorpost. This is about to represent the blood that will soon be on a cross. This is my blood, which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, we come to you today receiving these elements. They are from you, and they are for us, all of us. May your name be glorified. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Hymni is going to turn on a little music, and then if, if you'll just want to come to the center and then work your way back, that would be great. Come when you're ready. As I take the bread, I notice the salt. What a difference salt makes, right? Would you stand with me? May we be salt and light today. And Henley, I'm going to have you turn the music down and we're going to sing our benediction.
thank you to my girls for uh, for helping today. A reminder that we can use you and we can teach you how to do this. It's not rocket science. Close to it, but not really. But will you sing with me our benediction? We sing hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim, may your will be done in us. Go in God's love and peace. Happy Mother's Day. Hug your mama.